Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary issues that drive health outcomes. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. Its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. Hello, this is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices. I'm speaking with pharmacists at two unrelated hospitals about important new recommendations for acetaminophen dose accumulation monitoring in the inpatient setting. With me are Christina Myers and Leanne Milburn. Dr. Myers is Pharmacy Department Clinical Manager at Mary Rutan Hospital in Bellefontaine, Ohio. Dr. Milburn is Pharmacy Clinical Coordinator, St. Luke's East Hospital Department of Pharmacy, Lee Summit, Missouri. The new recommendations, which are published in AJHP ahead of print, were developed by the National Council for Prescription Drug Programs. NCPDP is a not-for-profit, multi-stakeholder forum that is known primarily for creating and promoting standards for electronic healthcare transactions. It also develops and standardizes best practices for product labeling, dosing instructions, patient communication and education, and other activities important in safeguarding patients. Doctors Myers and Milburn have studied the NCPDP document on acetaminophen dose accumulation monitoring in preparation for this interview. They were not involved in developing the document. Let's begin by having each of you describe briefly your hospital and your responsibilities there. Christina, would you please start? Yes, I am the Pharmacy Department Clinical Manager at Mary Rattan Hospital, which is a 100-bed community hospital located in West Central Ohio. My responsibilities include overseeing all of our clinical programming, including the Coumadin Clinic and the MTM Clinic. I'm the residency program director, I'm the policy writer for PNT, the medication safety officer, and I supervise all of the on-site pharmacy-related education, all the appy, ippy, and internal continuing education. Leanne, what about your institution? Yes, I am one of two clinical pharmacy coordinators for uh, St. Luke's Health System of Kansas City. St. Luke's Health System is a faith-based, not-for-profit aligned health system, which includes 10 hospitals across the Kansas City region also includes home care and hospice, behavioral health care, and multiple physician practices. I uh, provide oversight in developing and maintaining clinical pharmacy programs for three of the 10 suburban community hospitals within our health system. I'm also engaged in medication safety activities across the health system, and another significant component of my role is coordinating the activities of our system P&T committee, which encompasses our 10 hospitals within our system. Well, Leanne, just sticking with you uh, another moment, uh, could you give listeners a brief overview of the nature of pharmacist engagement in clinical services uh, in your system? Sure. Our pharmacists follow a patient-centered integrated model. They are proactively engaged in medication selection and management within the multidisciplinary team. They participate in uh, patient care rounds where available. They also participate in antimicrobial stewardship activities, 
are engaged in collaborative drug therapy management agreements, which involve renal dosing of numerous drugs, anticoagulant monitoring and dosing, and antimicrobial dosing and monitoring. They also provide patient education for targeted drugs and um, are also involved with several schools of pharmacy and participating in pharmacy student experiential training. Well, Christina, what about at Mary Rutan, the nature of uh, pharmacist clinical activities? Well, it sounds like our pharmacists are doing all the same activities, just on a much smaller scale, Leanne. We, of course, only have 100 beds that we operate on, but we are able to consult on every patient every single day with the clinical pharmacists. And we also practice under collaborative practice agreements and handle anticoag dosing really for the majority of the community. Most recently, we've been able to dispense discharge medications at the bedside and provide the counseling and the clean up that transition of care a little bit, but it sounds like we're operating very similarly. Well, sticking uh, with you, Christina, could you give us a sense of, uh, at your small institution, the, the extent to which technology is applied in the medication use process? We actually are very progressive with the use of technology, if you take into account our size. Um, we have instituted CPOE a couple years ago. We have electronic health record. We use barcoding on all of our medication administrations with a barcode-associated MAR. We are all um, PIXIS profile automated dispensing cabinets. We have not yet bit the bullet on the smart um, infusion pumps, so we still use old-fashioned um, IV pumps. But other than that, we're you know pretty progressive for our size. Yeah, it sounds that way. Leanne, what about at uh, St. Luke's uh, system? Very similar to uh, Christina, we do have CPOE and clinical decision support. Um, we have got barcode assisted medication administration along with automated dispensing cabinets. And we just implemented recently integrated smart fusion, infusion pump technology. Very good. Well, the um, NCPDP paper uh, points out that acetaminophen is the leading cause of acute liver failure and that excessive doses of the drug can place an inpatient at severe risk for liver injury. The paper also summarizes a study that was published in the Archives of Internal Medicine in 2012 showing that at two academic tertiary care centers, 6.6% of the patients who were on acetaminophen received a supra-therapeutic dose, which was defined as more than four grams per day. So I'd appreciate any uh, reflections or thoughts uh, each of you has on what are some of the main reasons, do you think, for overdosage of acetaminophen in inpatient care? Uh, Christina, would you like to start with that, please? Sure. From my perspective, that it's very easy to overdose a patient on acetaminophen because it's contained in so many products and because there's a little bit of a lack of continuity in understanding perhaps they got a combination Vicodin a couple hours ago and we're giving a combination Percocet a couple hours later, but just the lack of continuity between nursing shifts and at discharge. I like to think that we all understand what products have acetaminophen as healthcare providers and what the limits on those products are. Ideally, we all do, but the fact that acetaminophen pops up every time you turn around, I think, creates 
an issue in and of itself. I would attribute the majority of the acetaminophen overdose to just lack of continuity. It highlights some of the holes that we have in our healthcare system right now. Leanne, is there anything you would add? I would agree with Christina, and and we've actually looked at this before. We implemented CPOE a couple of years ago at our health system, but prior to implementation, we actually implemented an MUE to to look at this, performed an MUE to our medication utilization evaluation to look at this. And similar to what Christina had said, I think there is just a some gaps in in communication between shifts between nursing and recognizing that there are multiple products on a patient's medication profile that contain acetaminophen. And when you combine the use of plain acetaminophen for on a PRN basis for treatment of fever or on a scheduled basis for treatment of pain, and then you have other agents like the opiate, combination opiate products that contain acetaminophen, you also have active orders for for that, for more severe pain issues, sometimes the total administration of acetaminophen can get away from you um, before you realize it as a as a frontline. When I say get away from you, mainly from the frontline nurses' perspective, that they don't realize that oh, I've hit that four gram limit or potentially three gram limit in certain patient populations. Well, let's discuss each of the six recommendations of NCPDP. I'd appreciate your views on the rationale or wisdom of each recommendation and on any noteworthy challenges that you think hospitals will face as they move to implement a particular recommendation. Uh, Christina, your comments on recommendation one, which is to minimize use of multiple ingredient products containing acetaminophen. Absolutely. We actually um, implemented this recommendation back in 2007 where we pulled back to any combo nation product at that time you could buy you know for example Vicodin 5500 or 5325 we cranked everything back to the lowest available acetaminophen combination and then we also bought individual products where we had the opportunity that arose due to a you know a conscientious nurse looking at a pain protocol for a particular patient and saying there's absolutely no way I can do this I can't control this patient's pain because we don't have the products available and we did not have any pushback whatsoever it blew right through PNT on the first try I suppose in a larger institution you could have some issues with just logistics you know is there room in the pixels for multiple products or potentially an increased cost, but I think the cost on something like that is negligible compared to what you could potentially be preventing in your patients. Our experience with that was incredibly positive, and like I said, we maintain those formulary decisions to this day, so sure. nine years ago, and we're still doing quite well with it. So I, I don't yeah. foresee any issue with making that okay. change. Well, uh, a good uh, success story from your own institution in that regard. Leanne, let's look at recommendation two, uh, implement prescriber and nurse education with emphasis on maximum daily dose for medications at risk for overdose. Your thoughts on that one? Sure. I think, as we all know, that having knowledgeable providers and nurses administering the medications, having them understand the dosing limits is very important. Certainly, building order sets that help guide those clinicians to recognizing that we have limits on acetaminophen are important. 
the one thing about education is it, it sometimes can be very challenging to hit all of your providers, especially across our um, large health system as you're bringing on new practitioners, incorporating that into their orientation process and it is something that can be useful but you know education can be fleeting and just making it stick can sometimes be difficult so it is important to make sure that your frontline providers do have recognition that there are dosing limits to the product which i think most of them do it's just what gets away from them is when they're prescribing multiple or administering multiple products that contain acetaminophen Leanne, sticking with you on recommendation three, which is to provide patient education on medication use and the risk for overdose. Your comments on that one? This one is a, a little more challenging in that um, knowing what patients to target, um, particularly at discharge, having the resources available to target all those patients can be tricky. For instance, uh, we target a, a certain number of medications for patient education at discharge, particularly our high-risk drugs such as anticoagulants and immunosuppressives and certain medications for CHF. So at some institutions, adding acetaminophen uh, to the list of med medications to provide targeted education might be extra workload that they do not have adequately resourced. So the trick is figuring out which patients to target, which patients might do okay with just written information versus the, those that might benefit more from one-on-one -on -one education. Recommendation four in this paper is to establish standardized inpatient medication management protocols. Christina, your thoughts about that one? Well, that's another one that we've already accomplished here at Mary Rutan. And of course, I have to qualify this with we're very small. I have two hospitalists and 10 to 12 surgeons that this really primarily applies to. But in 2010, we did a DUE that revealed a lack of understanding of the nursing staff as to what exactly the physician was trying to communicate. Through that process, I was able to interview the nurses to even have them categorize the pain medications that were on the patient's profile, and then I communicated that lack of understanding back to the physicians and identified this gap. You know, they may have been prescribing morphine and Percocet, and the nurse didn't necessarily have a good perspective as to which one of those was for severe pain and which one of those was for mild to moderate pain. We were able to implement a pain protocol at our institution that we use institution-wide that categorizes these pain medications. You know, this is what you should be using for mild, this is what you should be using for moderate, and this is what you should be using for severe. Now, granted, this didn't come without any, you know, growing pains or pushback, but after we were able to communicate, we're not trying to control how you prescribe pain medications, just trying to help you communicate more effectively with the nurses that are administering it it went through very, very easily. And even if a physician chooses not to use our pain protocol, the pharmacy staff that's verifying the orders has it in the back of their mind and kind of, you know, keeps them in bounds a little bit to the standard protocols that we're all accustomed to. So a physician is prescribing multiple things that might read as confusing to the nursing staff, the pharmacy is gonna call them and help clear that up a little bit. Again, something that we've had 
wonderful success with, and that, that one's a little bit more tricky than minimizing multiple ingredient products, but definitely worth it in the long run. And we've been very successful limiting our acetaminophen overdose, and I would accredit most of it to that recommendation right there. Yeah, very good. Well, recommendation five, uh, turning to you, Leanne, is to uh, establish pharmacists as the primary actor in the medication reconciliation process. What are your comments on that one? Certainly. I think this makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, we are the medication experts, and so we need to be play a primary role in the, in the medication reconciliation process. It is a huge task and does it's a resource-intensive process, and at our institution, collaborate with physicians and nurses to take care of the, the medication reconciliation process. We would like to have more focused uh, pharmacist involvement in that process, but it can be very time-consuming, and resources are limited for that on, on both sides, on both the um, admission and discharge sides, having a pharmacist touch every medication and ad, admission record and discharge rec record may not be feasible for some institutions or for many institutions. So we have to get creative and innovative about using our pharmacist extenders, our pharmacy technicians, and our pharmacy students to help us optimize the medication reconciliation process. I think also it can be very helpful to engage your nurses and physicians through quality teams and providing education to those providers about how medication reconciliation needs to work. Well, just a follow-up question, Leanne. You mentioned pharmacy students. To what extent are you using pharmacy students in MedRec? They do play an important role in helping us clarify medication orders, going and talking to the patients, to gathering, going to see the patients to gather medication histories. They also participate in medication teaching at discharge for targeted medications. But I think it's safe to say that we are looking to expand the use of pharmacy students within our health system to take on an even bigger role in medication reconciliation. Christina, I'll turn back to you on the final recommendation uh, in this report, which is to integrate health information technology solutions that minimize the risk of inadvertent overdosage for high-risk medications into all process flows and decision support. Comments? The integrating the health information technology solutions is something that we have struggled with a little bit in regards to acetaminophen overdose and actually for all high-risk medications. We've determined that our electronic health record vendor isn't really capable of doing some of the things we would like for it to do. But then on the other hand, we're not necessarily having a significant issue with high-risk medication overdoses and that type of thing. So I don't know that we need to go outside of our electronic health record. And it is not able to offer dose accumulators like we would like to see. And I think as the sophistication in that type of software continues, there might be something available that would be of use to us. But at this point, um, I do think that's a fabulous recommendation. However, we aren't able to implement it. But it sounds like you uh, hold out hope that perhaps some enhancement of your uh, IT systems will uh, allow you to focus on this to a better extent. Yeah, good. 
they're able to accumulate doses over the course of a lifetime, but they're not able to communicate that in a manner that's going to stop someone who's about to overdose. <laughs> so, right. you know, it's available, but it's just not in the form that we need it. Well, I'm interested uh, to hear from both of you on which aspects of the NCP-DP paper resonated most strongly with you. Uh, Leanne, uh, your comments? Um, perhaps the comment within the paper that supertherapeutic dosing should be a never event in the hospital. And I think we strive for that, but are we perfect yet? Do we have zero events? I would venture to say that um, it's still a problem, at least the papers cited within the NCPDP recommendations suggest that we do still have a problem nationwide. So it resonated with me that it should be a never event. We should be expecting that it's a never event, and our, our patients are expecting that. Christina, how would you comment on what struck you most strongly in this paper? I would agree with that. The Archives of Internal Medicine paper from 2012 that showed the 6.6% of patients, that I found that shocking. We don't have that magnitude of problem, but we definitely have the potential for it. There's the opportunity to continue to closely monitor acetaminophen usage and the issues that have come up. But the recommendations in the paper, I think very clearly, if you are capable of implementing all of these recommendations, I think you're going to limit that 6.6% significantly. It would be difficult if all of these recommendations were implemented to have an issue, I think. So the fact that 6.6% of patients are having this acetaminophen overdose definitely is what resonated the most with yeah. me when reading this paper. Well, Christina, sticking with you and, again, keeping in mind uh, your small institution, I'm curious, do you contemplate any changes at your own hospital with respect to acetaminophen use monitoring based on the NCP-DP paper? I think we'll take it as a little bit more of a serious issue um, when you look at that national percentage and monitor it a little closely. You know, we do every year to two years, we do a DUE and look very closely at the acetaminophen use for a short period of time. And I look forward to some enhanced dose accumulator opportunities from our electronic medical record vendor. So those things, as they come along, we'll take it more seriously and look at it very closely. But again, we haven't identified a significant issue, but we're implementing the majority of the recommendations. So I would encourage other institutions, as many of those as they can, implement to do so because I think it works out very well in the long run. Sure. Well, Leanne, from uh, the perspective of the St. Luke's uh, health system, do you contemplate any changes with respect to uh, acetaminophen use monitoring based on this paper? One thing that we may need to do is repeat our MUE that um, we conducted prior to implementation of CPOE. And it just made me think, you know, what is our rate of supertherapeutic dosing? We haven't looked at that in a while. We've been so focused on other high-risk drugs such as anticoagulants, opiates, and hypoglycemic agents that this one kind of just got put back in the corner of our minds. So it probably is a good time to be performing another MUE to look at this and, and evaluating potential contributing factors. 
things that we could possibly improve upon. But I think one thing that um, after reading this paper that I'll be looking into further is innovative ways to target patient education at discharge for patients going home on acetaminophen-containing medications. This has been a discussion with Dr. Christina Myers of Mary Rutan Hospital in Bellefontaine, Ohio, and Dr. Leanne Milburn of St. Luke's East Hospital in Lee Summit, Missouri. We've been discussing the recommendations of the National Council for Prescription Drug Programs relating to acetaminophen dose accumulation monitoring in the inpatient setting. These recommendations are published ahead of print in AJHP. For AJHP Voices, this is William Zelmer. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit www.ajhp.org.